It's time for Cadillac On Call on News Radio 610 KOMA. It's your chance to learn valuable health information right here in our community. Now, the host of Cadillac On Call, here's Jim Hall. Hello and welcome to Cadillac On Call presented by the Cadillac Foundation. Each week we are here to share health and medical information on topics important to you. And for two plus years, that time has been mostly consumed with providing you the latest on the COVID pandemic. As we take the air today, it comes two years almost to the day when the Tri-City saw its first patient hospitalized with COVID-19 at Cadillac Regional Medical Center in Richland. On today's program, public health experts from Benton and Franklin counties, along with leaders from Cadillac Regional Medical Center. We will get all of their perspectives as we continue to see hopeful trends across the COVID data uh, spectrum. Leading us off today is Heather Hill, who is the Communicable Disease Program Manager with the Benton Franklin Health District. And Heather, as we talk today, the statistics do seem to be a fraction of what they were just six weeks ago. Is that the case? You're exactly right, Jim. It's pretty amazing when we look at the graph of where we were, you know, six, eight weeks ago at such extremely high rates, seeing some of the highest that we had seen throughout the entire last two years. And now we've dropped down to the combined seven-day case rate for Benton and Franklin County is 44.96 per 100,000, with Benton County coming in at 37.43 and Franklin County at 60.98. And then um, the other even more important piece of data to look at is the hospitalizations. And over the last week from our previous um, posting, our occupancy, our bed occupancy for COVID patients is down by 50% at 4.28%. So definitely heading the right direction. But as we've um, tried to impress upon people when we're looking at data, especially these days when there is so much at-home testing happening that are not reported, uh, you test at home, you don't necessarily report to anybody, but if you test positive, we're not aware of that data, so that is certainly not included in what we're publishing. Um, and so the accuracy of the total number of people who are actually positive for COVID in the community is certainly skewed a bit when, within our data. So keep that in mind as you're, as you're reading our data on our dashboards. The big news, of course, in the last few weeks is uh, this past weekend, the requirements to wear masks in certain locations has been eliminated. A, a question related to that, do we, will we expect to see an increase in cases because of that? And is, if so, would that be any reason for alarm? I think it's something that we need to be cautious about. I think we're all really pleased that we've been able to move away from such strict mask mandates and not have to um, wear them in, in majority of public places with the exclusion of those medical facilities, pharmacies, public transportation, and jail environments. But we think what's going to happen in the long run, um, you know, it, it could go a couple of directions. Most likely, once people's immunity from either disease or immunization Starts to starts to wane or decrease, and certainly if other variants come along, then we would expect to see, unfortunately, an increase. And that's where watching that hospital data is so important. 
if you have a lot of disease um, throughout your community, but people are getting sick and able to stay home and handle it themselves, take care of themselves, and don't become critically ill, you know, so be it. But it's when people catch these variants, these strains, that their immune system is such that they end up very, very sick, and then our hospitalization rates go up, and we are concerned once again about that that critical uh, acute care facility numbers that can cause such problems for our community and our healthcare workers, and that we don't want to get back into. So on one hand, we're not wearing our masks like we used to, but on the other hand, we absolutely cannot let our guard down, and we continue to watch the data and try to see what's trending and, and give that message to the community once we do start seeing the data change. I would hope our community at that point in time where we're saying, you know, it looks to be increasing again, probably need to start improving on our mitigation strategies. And we're just going to need to really be conscientious of what we're doing should that happen. But it points to the importance of getting vaccinated. Again, people are letting their guard down a little bit, but it also, to me, messages the high importance of getting vaccinations so that you are protected, considering that we, we don't have the mass protection like we were even a few weeks ago. So if, if, is, the, is the issue now, I know with Omicron, thankfully it was not as severe as the Delta variant that occurred last August and September, and Omicron, thankfully, people got milder cases. But is the more pressing concern as we move forward with this that if you're around uh, someone who is vulnerable, say in your family or friends or in your circle of, of life, um, is that where maybe you, you just want to make sure, it, well, I'm going to get tested before I go visit them? You know, little things that we have learned that aren't so hard to do. Is that, that, is that the, the thing that we need to keep in the back of our minds when we're being around these types of people that might be exposed? You're exactly right, and as we move further and further uh, you know, over the next months, years, with how are we going to live with COVID, how are we going to live with this um, virus that will probably continue to circulate in some form for many, many years to come, we do need to consider all those practices that we put into place during the pandemic and be conscientious, be concerned, be caring about those people that we're going to visit. Certainly, Omicron um, seemed less severe, but we did have a significant number of deaths, even when Omicron was circulating, because once it gets into that very vulnerable, fragile population, it can be lethal to them, um, and it can be quite bad. So we need to not let our guard down. We need to be conscientious about what we're doing and continue to watch the data and take heed when the data starts to change and we perhaps start to see an increase and start to have concerns about hospitalizations, just like we do with seasonal influenza. When we, as public health officials, notice our influenza rates start to go up or we start to see it affecting our vulnerable populations, like in long-term care or in a, a jail facility, that's when we're going to message the community again. It's time to really start putting in place all those mitigation strategies to help get this organism back in control so we're not exposing that vulnerable population that could get sick and, and easily die. So at this point, the point is uh, 
managing expectations, so to speak, that we we know we want to not have to get back to what we endured for so long, but at the same time, be uh, be understanding that the health district may come back and they're keeping an eye on this and being, I guess, back in what your comfortable role is kind of behind the scenes, but monitoring all this and then obviously making that communication necessary when it's necessary. Right. And that's what public health does, not just with COVID. We certainly um, have become very well known in the community because of our COVID work. But this is the type of work that, you know, again, for me, 39 years in public health involved in communicable diseases, we're doing this background work. We're watching our data trends. We are are keeping an eye on what is happening with various diseases in our community. And when we start to see an increase in certain types of diseases where we have concerns, we will message the community and say, here are the mitigation strategies you need to start putting in place to protect yourself and your family. And that is ongoing work of public health every single day of our life is keeping an eye on disease trends and then messaging our community. You know, influenza is a perfect example. Every year we have long-term care facilities call us up because they start to see a slight increase in their influenza cases. In a long-term care facility, two cases is a real concern to us, knowing how fast it can spread. And then public health's job is to step in and help them with mitigation strategies so that there is less chance of loss of life because of influenza. And that is work that we do in public health as part of our everyday practice. And COVID, work in my world will never go completely away. It will just become one of the many, many 60-plus diseases that we are required by law to follow and to keep an eye on so that we can message our community and give them that information to make the best choices about their health and safety. Well, I want to thank you for being such a great resource to this program over the past two years, and we appreciate all of your efforts and being such a, an effective communicator because this has changed so much, as we all know, over the past two years. Heather Hill with the Benton Franklin Health District. We'll be back with a colleague While of hers, Dr. Amy Person. Right you're listening to Cadillac On Call on 610 KONA. This program is not a substitute for direct consultation with your own health care provider. Always consult your health care provider for your specific condition, especially if you have or suspect you may have a medical problem. Now back to Cadillac On Call. Here again, Jim Hall. Welcome back to Cadillac on Call, presented by the Cadillac Foundation. We are now privileged to welcome to our program the District Health Officer for Benton and Franklin Counties, and that's Dr. Amy Person. Dr. Person, in partnership with Heather Hill, who you just heard from, and the entire health district team, have performed tireless and seemingly unending work guiding our communities through the pandemic over the past couple of years. And Dr. Person, as we welcome you to the program today, first, thank you for your service. And as we continue to see promising signs with our COVID status, give us a quick perspective of your feelings as we speak today. Oh, absolutely. And before that, you know, while we're saying thank yous, I just wanted to extend thank you to the entire Cadillac team, as well as all of the Healthcare workers in the Tri Cities and Benton and Franklin counties who've also been performing tirelessly. Um, but as far as the outlook, um, I don't want to jinx myself, but things do look 
promising. We expect to see cases um, go up uh, now that the indoor mask mandate for the general public has been lifted. Uh, but we also feel that we are uh, in a good position just in terms of the number of people who are either vaccinated or who have been uh, recently infected with COVID um, so that our community uh, is not at extreme risk. You are a, a pediatrician by training and as well as your public health expertise. I'd be interested, obviously, with the the mask requirements lifted, it has its most uh, significant impact, obviously, on the schools around the region. And I know, obviously, uh, a lot of people are glad to be able to return to schools without having to wear the masks. But as a pediatrician by training and combined with your public health expertise, what's your message to, to parents, obviously, with, with vaccinations available for certain age groups? Maybe just start in general. What's your advice to parents as we start to loosen in these, re- these restrictions? And I'm guessing some kids will be wearing masks, some will not. Some teachers will be, some will not. What's your thoughts on that? You're absolutely right, Jim. There is going to be the entire range. Um, there are people who can't wait to have the masks off, kids who can't wait to have the masks off. Um, there are those who, uh, for their own health reasons or maybe health reasons in their families, um, are not comfortable taking the masks off. Um, and something else that I, I was reminded of uh, today um, during some of our regular communications with schools um, they are seeing some kids are keeping the masks on because they're they're not quite comfortable yet um, sort of being that visible. Um, while we're all thinking about our, our transition to um, life after the pandemic, we have to remember that kids in school have also had to go through transitions of virtual to in-person learning from elementary to junior high, uh, you know, middle school to to high school. Uh, So some of them uh, may feel more comfortable behind the mask because they're they're worried about, you know, are people going to make fun of me? Uh, So the biggest lesson I think that we have to have is um, to allow people um, to be where they are and not to pepper them with questions about why they're wearing masks, but just accept if somebody's wearing a mask, um, they've got a reason for it. Um, and and let them be with that because um, we're all going to need to work together um, to make sure that um, particularly our kids um, are coming out of this pandemic uh, whole and not just whole in terms of uh, their physical health, but their uh, emotional and social well-being as well. You raised such a really good point and and something that I'm sure a lot of people haven't thought of, I know I have not, is, and especially I'm guessing what, okay, doing my math, grades, uh, two years in a pandemic, so like a second, maybe third graders, as you say, they may have been wearing a mask every day that they've gone to school, and a lot of them haven't even been in person in school very long. So they may be third grade or second grade, but but socially they're still adjusting to, to being in school. Absolutely. Um, And that's where, uh, you know, as families, as educators, as um, medical or healthcare providers for these families, uh, just recognizing that those uh, may pose some additional challenges. Um, We know that uh, pediatric 
mental health um, is a public health crisis uh, nationally. Uh, it was one before the pandemic, uh, and pandemic certainly didn't uh, improve that situation for most people. Uh, so we are all going to be looking at ways that we can strengthen um, our systems to help provide support for families, for kids, um, help kids to uh, be resilient, um, to learn those tools um, so that they can come out of this, uh, like I said, whole in the best sense. And as you touched on the pediatric mental health component, the general zero to 99 mental health component as well is certainly, I know, been an issue as we've gone through these these ebbs and flows over the past two years. What's what's your thoughts for, you know, the adult population, too, making making sure they pay attention to their mental health? Yes, that that's absolutely right. Um, it's important for people to recognize that in this prolonged disaster, which uh, essentially the, the pandemic was, no matter how it affected you, um, it is normal um, for people to have a lot of uh, feelings they may not have had before, to sometimes feel foggy or have difficulty concentrating. Uh, it's important to recognize those um, and not to feel uh, ashamed of those or that they have to hide them, uh, but to really look for uh, support among their peers, their family, uh, or among professionals. Um, if necessary. What about, I wanted to get a couple, we had just a couple of minutes left, but as you think back at the past two years, and I touched on that the the first hospitalized case in the Tri-Cities was literally two years ago this week. Uh, Over that time, I mean, can you even gather any kind of uh, reflection at all to sum it all up? Gosh, uh, you know, I that that is hard. I, I am really struck by the the magnitude of um, the effects of this pandemic on on our entire community in the Tri Cities, in Washington, in the United States, in the world, uh, and I just. Um, Again, my my biggest hope is that we are all going to give ourselves and each other uh, some some grace as we uh, come out of this, uh, and also uh, the the courage to really look at where we need to uh, make improvements and the courage to tackle some of those problems that will not go away uh, even once the the pandemic is is done. What I've learned from you and Heather Hill and, and the health district public health experts that I've had the privilege to talk with over the last couple of years is public health's role is preferably behind the scenes, not out front. Um, and I know that's uh, probably what you'd like it to be, but is that the role of public health is, but we better make darn sure that we're, it's resourced appropriately going forward um, as we continue to live our lives and come out of this pandemic. Absolutely. Um, We are going to continue to prefer to be in that uh, background, focusing on that prevention, on making sure that uh, people and families and communities have the tools that they need um, to achieve their best health. Uh, But we do need to be ready uh, 
to attack whatever challenges get in the way of people achieving that level of health. And in maybe 15, 20 seconds, um, do we need to keep in mind there might be another variant that comes? Yes. Um, Things are much better, but we are still not yet in a place where uh, enough people are protected that we may not see a variant. So uh, you can take the masks off, but I'd keep them handy um, just in case we get into trouble again. Dr. Amy Person, thanks so much for your time and all that you and your team have done over the past two years. Back with the second half of Cadillac On Call in just a moment. You're listening to Cadillac On Call on 610-KONA. This program provides general information only. Any comments or information presented are strictly for educational purposes. Cadillac and 610-KONA do not endorse any of the suggestions made by the presenter or callers. Now back to Cadillac On Call. Once again, Jim Hall. Thank you for listening to Cadillac on Call, presented by the Cadillac Foundation. And a reminder, if you missed any part of our program, Cadillac on Call is available on podcast. Simply search Cadillac on Call wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. We spent the first half of our program with the public health COVID perspective as we work our way out of the pandemic. And we'd like to spend some time now with leaders from Cadillac Regional Medical Center. And first up is Kirk Harper. He is the Chief Nursing Officer and Chief Operating Officer at Cadillac. And, Kirk, thanks for your time today. My initial question is going to take you back to two years ago this week when Cadillac saw the Tri-Cities first hospitalized COVID patient. For you and the team, reflect, what was that like? You know, there was an amazing amount of kind of that nervousness, that apprehension, that what if and not knowing what we were, you know, going to be just a lot of unknown based off of, you know, because the first patient started over there in Everett and worked our way as more patients started to present themselves to hospitals and be hospitalized, we were gearing up in a lot of preparedness. And even though you can prepare for something, it's still until it you actually have the opportunity to experience it, it's just a little bit different. So a lot of unknown, a lot of anticipation, a lot of energy, and just getting ready for that first patient whom we had the opportunity to care for. And so it was just yeah, a lot that built up for that first opportunity. And, and for people to recollect just a quick summary and not getting too deep into it, but if people remember, testing was extremely limited. So for you to be able to get tests on who is positive and not was a huge challenge. And then we've heard the term PPE, personal protective equipment. That was yet another challenge. Vaccines weren't available yet. And, oh, by the way, you had your own staff to worry about. But was it a case where you just took one thing at a time and did the best you could and adjusted as as you had to? We did. And just reflecting back on that time and thinking about just the pace in which we were meeting, learning, trying to process and absorb all the information, and then on top of that, disseminate it out to the team, the caregivers, the providers, one, in a timely fashion, two, not trying to be overwhelming, uh, three, just make sure it's as clear as possible in light of all that anticipation of, you know, some of the unknowns and being prepared. It, it was just a very, you know, a lot of information. I won't say overload, cause, but it pretty much was. And just the pace in which we were learning, adjusting, and adapting was quite uh, was quite fast. <laughs> <laughs> 
I know one thing that that strikes me when I look at the data and the graphs, especially that you show periodically, and you see, I think, four clear ups and downs of of these surges and, and, and returns from the surges, fortunately. As you look back on that, when... Not to try and pick one, but if you could, when what was your highest level of concern? When were you most worried over the past two years? You know, I think each one presented itself with an equal but different type of concern, whether it was the severity of, you know, one strain or the impact and how we had caregivers and people out for another and just the intensity of it and how it impacted our team. So to select one would be difficult. But it would also, because each one had its own little nuance, though we thought we learned some things from prior, which we did, but each wave had its own uniqueness just based off of the environment changed in which, you know, from the number of caregivers and providers available to the patient types and where they presented, and then also the care and treatment and what we learned along the way and how we could respond to the patients that we were, uh, we were you know, caring for. And another thing that I knew you weren't necessarily – preparing for that you had to really, you as Cadillac took really a a leadership role in the community is once the vaccine became available, I know the Cadillac HealthFlex was a really vaccine producing machine for people over the course of about this time last year, right? You know, an amazing amount of pride. I don't think everyone has a, a great appreciation for how our teams really stepped up were one of the first ones within our area to get involved, get everything set up so we could, you know, get the vaccines first in here to start uh, administering them. And, I mean, the work that went into it and the speed in which the team responded and reacted was amazing. And really, I wish we could, uh, you know, as we go back and think about it, they were uh, leading our our groups as we were uh, going through it. And it was quite impressive and very uh, a proud moment to see how well they they worked and came together. We have just a couple of minutes left with you, and I know – the promising signs, the hospitalizations way down. I think I read there were three hospitalized patients today, which I'm sure is great comfort to you and the team. But talk about your concern for your team. Obviously, this has been incredibly stressful. We've, we're aware of, of what it's done to the workforce and the burnout and all of these terms. But what's, what's your your focus right now as a leader, as a nurse yourself, as you see these, these folks within your workforce uh, really uh, w- hoping to, to move through this and hopefully stay in the profession? You know, it's really, it's, it's, large, it's huge. I, I mean, I got to think about this for a minute because I also want to reflect upon what it taught us, what it taught us not only personally, professionally, as we came together as a you know, an organization as we came together as a region, as a system, it taught us a lot about ourselves and who we are and how we can adapt and care for our patients and really make a difference. And we take that into, yes, all those things you mentioned from turnover to retention to burnout. And what can we do to learn from that and, you know, give each other a little grace, understand, have an appreciation for how it impacted different caregivers and providers at different times because not all departments and not all caregivers and providers, you know, were impacted the same way. And just really having an appreciation and understanding of that and working and engaging with them the best we can as they feel comfortable, you know, talking about it openly and working through some of those things that really challenge them as they're continuing on with their profession. And there's a lot of new nurses or not just nurses, excuse me, people wanting to come into the healthcare environment that we really need to let them know how great of an experience it is to care for patients when they're at their most vulnerable moments 
and it's very rewarding. It still serves all those, you know, the why we go into healthcare, and just really want to remember that and really help reinforce that with all of our caregivers and providers. Final question for you as we move forward. I am guessing, and you touched on the incredible learnings that that you and the team learned throughout the past two years. I'm guessing some of the things that you have learned are going to be baked into the standard operating procedures in some cases in day-to-day operations within the hospital setting? They are, and that's what, you know, there is some good that still comes out of this. It's what we learn about how we can adapt and adjust when if another wave or if we have another situation that comes up. It doesn't even have to be this. It just has to be something that impacts our ability to care and serve our patients we have created huddle system structure that we can communicate and respond quicker than what we had when we were, uh, you know, two years ago. So we built upon that and learned from it. I want to give you one final chance because I know you're so good when you join us on this program to, to reflect the pride that you feel for the people that have served this community so well within Cadillac and, and really all across the healthcare system. Yeah, you know, really want to say thank you. I mean, I try to take every opportunity I can to say thank you to our caregivers and providers for everything they do, not only supporting each other, but also supporting the patients we serve. And it's very rewarding. It's the stories that we still hear of the great care that's being provided, the lives we're touching, and the difference we're making. Don't want anybody to forget that. No one has lost sight of that and just want a great appreciation for everybody and all that they do. And did you think two years ago that, Two years later, you'd be on a radio show talking about COVID? <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> well, Kirk, I want to I, I want to thank you for I, I've gotten had the opportunity for our listeners to be fortunate to see uh, the team work firsthand, and I know you've been leading a lot of those daily, sometimes multiple times daily calls throughout the past two years. And I want to thank you for your work personally but also for the rest of the team that, that you manage and lead over there at Cadillac Regional Medical Center. Kirk Harper, the Chief Operating Officer, Chief Nursing Officer at Cadillac. We'll be back with the Chief Executive at Cadillac right after this. You're listening to Cadillac On Call on 610 KONA. This program is not a substitute for direct consultation with your own health care provider. Always consult your health care provider for your specific condition, especially if you have or suspect you may have a medical problem. Now back to Cadillac On Call. Here again, Jim Hall. Welcome back to our program, Cadillac on Call, presented by the Cadillac Foundation. And we would like to use our remaining minutes this evening by connecting with the chief executive at Cadillac, Riza Khalil. And Riza and Kirk Harper, who you just heard, and the entire team at Cadillac have experienced virtually every emotion possible during the past two years. And Riza, I would start with the present with you. How is your team doing and what would you like our listeners and our communities to know about their work over the past two years? Hi, Jim. Um, yeah, I think the team's doing uh, doing well under the circumstances. I've I've uh, been describing it as we're we're bruised but not broken. So uh, cautiously optimistic. I, I heard some of the uh, information that Dr. Person and Heather were sharing, and, and some of Kirk's comments, and certainly echo all those. We're, we're really um, hopeful looking into the future, uh, even though we know we'll be living with some version of this. That the the worst and biggest surges of COVID. Um, may be behind us. So uh, do, doing well, cautiously optimistic, but um, beginning to, to focus a little bit more on, on the future and a, a path away from what we've been dealing with the last two years. 
I want to ask you uh, just a reflective question uh, uh, as you think back over the two two years. I, I asked it to Kirk and really to Dr. Amy and Heather as well. But what is your most vivid memory, whether it's of concern, of pride, of worry during that past two years? When might that have been for you? Oh, gosh. Um, all, all of the above every day. Um, <laughs> the middle of the night know, at I, three, I, right. Yeah, you know, it, it, it's it's waves of this. And with, with anything uh, that goes on this long and that impacts uh, everybody so uh, ubiquitously, it, it's hard to stay away from any of those um, of those emotions. You know, I'm like a, a big catastrophic event, like a plane crash or something where, where there's an immediate uh rush of effort and everybody kind of does what they need to do. This is something that's been going on that has impacted all of our workforce at work, but it's also impacted all of them in different ways at home. And so it's, it's definitely been, been unique and all, all of those emotions up and down and all over the place the last two years. I couldn't, I couldn't pick one, Jim. I was going to say, and if you don't mind, I, I, I liked your analogy, bruised, but not broken. But as, as, as your team comes out of that, is that is that what you're stressing to them is look at what you have accomplished and the role that you have played in helping this community get through this is is that is that the way uh, the healthcare world should think of the work that they've performed and really feel proud about that? Uh, absolutely it is. I think there's so much to be proud of and we focus uh, so much as a country on the, the very tragic uh, elements of this uh, as we should to to remember uh, folks who've been impacted but when we look at the number of lives saved uh, and turned around and uh, improved and cared for at the hands of our team uh, over the last uh, couple of years, uh, especially with the surge in, in activity, there's just so much to be proud of. And as, as I heard Kirk saying a moment ago, so much that we've learned and that we need to make sure we take the time to reflect on those learnings and um, and kind of bake them into our processes and work going forward. You touched on the hopefulness now that we can we as an organization, as Catholic, can start working on some of the things that uh, that really are going to shape the, the future of healthcare in the community in a positive way. We don't have a ton of time, but it, what is the 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 focus right now at Catholic as you look forward? What are the key the key uh, focuses uh, that that you and the team are looking at going forward? Yeah, I'd say it's really two main things, and and one I won't spend a lot of time on because I think you've you've touched on it. We've we've been talking about it for a while, but it's recovery. So it's just like a a patient who's been dealing with something needs to recover as an organization. We've got a lot of recovery to do, particularly with our caregivers going forward. And then the second thing is really getting back to optimizing access for the community. Ultimately, that's what we're here for is to provide needed health services to our community. And I'll I'll use our mission and vision statement, which are are a little bit – uh, maybe illustrative. We say our mission statement is to provide safe, compassionate care, and that's obviously what we're here to do and what we've been here uh, doing uh, all this time. And then we've got this vision statement, health for a better world. With, in, in my mind, in some ways, when we say health for a better world, it's, it's trying to keep people out of having to uh, utilize our care, especially the more acute uh, care in different ways. So it's really, I think, thinking strategically and with all our community partners about how do we show up and optimize access in ways that help people to stay out of uh, needing some of these more acute services and all the work that the health district does and, and I'm so appreciative of through COVID. But there's a lot of things that they do um, all the time that go unseen because, of course, a problem prevented does not get as much recognition as a problem solved often. So um, I think lots of work in that vein as we try to figure out what the next frontier of 
Catholic providing access to the community looks like. And, and do you think maybe that's another a hidden win in all of this is that our community and the healthcare community learned what other resources were available and also learn where that care is needed, that it, it may not be in the traditional places with people coming into the hospital, that we have to go locate these people and help them where they need help. Yeah, there have been so many more um, conversations and touch points uh, through this last couple of years on a regular basis through uh, community leader meetings that were set up on a routine basis through the health district, through contacts we were making constantly uh, with everyone from uh, business folks through the chamber or TRIDEC and others, uh, the health district, as we talked about, uh, the, the Healthcare Alliance, uh, all kinds of folks looking at ways to try to, to help and kind of meet the mission of, of uh, the needs of the community. So uh, we've got a number of community health workers now that we've onboarded uh, during the pandemic and some other unique approaches that, that uh, the community will see from us going forward to provide access in the ways it's needed. So as I said earlier, optimizing access rather than just trying to continue maximizing it in ways we've historically focused on. If you could take just 15 or 20 seconds to, to tie it up, uh, tie it all together, if you would, just a message. What would you like the community to know about the teams that you've led over the past two years and the work that they've performed? Oh, just, just how proud we are of the folks that have uh, dealt with so much that's been thrown their way through all these surges and how connected all these folks in our, in our team at Cadillac are to the rest of the community. These are your neighbors and friends and family. Uh, these aren't folks in some kind of isolated uh, building. And so I think appreciation for all the folks that have been doing the work and the support they've received from community members, other organizations, other first responders. It's been uh, just so uh, gratifying to see the team effort across this whole community. Risa Khalil, the CEO of Catholic Regional Medical Center, thanks so much for taking the time. And thank you for listening to our program. We'll talk again next week.